Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Today, I'm interviewing Maureen. And again, I, I think this is so exciting when someone hears about the show. We have been talking about the show all over the place on LinkedIn, and we've built some really great fellowship. And Maureen heard about this show, and it immediately inspired some thoughts for her on who her best boss was. So Maureen, thank you so much for reaching out and offering to be interviewed. And just for everybody listening, give us a little introduction on yourself before we get started. Sure. So my name is Maureen Cauley. I'm the chief people officer at a company called Sattva. It's a direct-to-consumer company that sells luxury mattresses online. It's a lot of fun. We have an engineering and a marketing population. We also have a large customer service population. And we're the first people in the internet to do what we do. So it's a great company to be part of. Sounds good. And so for anybody out there with back pain or a lousy sleep while they're listening to this, <laughs> look Maureen up after. That's right. Safa.com. When I ask that question, who's your best boss ever and why? What, what comes to mind for you? My best boss was my first boss. And it, oh, it jumps right out for me because I feel so lucky in my career to have started out with a best boss. His name is Max Landsbaum. And He's sort of known for being a best boss. He made his career, he, he works in retail, and he's kind of has two signature strengths. One is that he can make almost any situation profitable. And then the other is he's a tremendous developer of people. So almost no matter who he works with, he can pull out of them whatever their strengths are and help them to be useful at their job. So he was always great with people who were quirky or people who were different or people like me who didn't understand their job and might not have been doing so well right out of college. And so that versatility in leadership is something that you see it valued more and more now, but he was sort of an early adopter of strength finders, essentially. Mm, what a one-two punch he has, the ability to make any situation profitable and a tremendous developer of people. I listen to that and go, that's a very aspirational who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine how lucky to, to come out of college and start working with somebody like that? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what it was like. Give me the day-by-day -day examples of what it's like to work with Max. Here you are, this you know, fresh out of university or college grad. Don't know where the bathrooms are, right? <laughs> right. And at Target, that's where I started my career was Target. They have an executive, they call it an executive leadership program. And so what basically that means is you come into a field retail position and you're responsible for running a team of people and a department. So you're 22 years old, you have a team of 25 people, and you're supposed to drive results through this team who has more work experience than you, more retail experience, knows the environment better. It was a pretty hard job. And for me, I wasn't very good at it. I, I had never worked in retail before. I wasn't a very good delegator. And I definitely didn't understand some of the key components of feedback. Meaning if, if I had feedback for an employee on my team, I was looking for a reaction from them to make sure they understood the message, which is wrong. I mean, it, it, you end up pushing just way too hard on people. And so Max kind of 
you were saying you have a puppy by your desk. You kind of treated me like a puppy, like very broke it down to basics. I remember one time I had this shoe transition. Target was doing this major change to how they presented footwear. Right. And I took the instructions, looked at the number of hours that it was supposed to take to complete the transition and decided, okay, I guess that's what I have to do myself. Oh, no. (laughs) I remember I had an 18-hour workday. The project was due. It was every shoes were all over the place, in boxes, out of boxes. Somebody from the overnight team tried to help me, but it was so bad, like just a complete fail. And I remember Max came in in the morning and said, okay, Maureen, we have to go look at the shoe department. And, you know, like a puppy, you're just so embarrassed. You know, you did a bad job. And we walked over and he said, okay, well, explain this. Why don't you tell me what happened? So instead of kind of taking that opportunity to like, kind of scold me or yell at me or any of which I could have deserved. He gave me a chance to provide my own feedback. And I said, okay, well, I I failed to delegate. I tried to do it all by myself. I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't prepare in advance. And now here's where we are. Okay. Well, what are you going to do about it? And I said, okay, I I need your help. What should I do about it? Because I really didn't know. And at that point he came in, explained it to me, explained how to get myself out of the situation that I had created. And then that was it. We moved on. And so to have a leader who's kind of willing to have that level of patience and that level of, if his boss had walked in that day, he would have been in as much trouble as I was, but he was seasoned enough in his career to let me make my own mistake and then learn from it and then do better going forward. It's such a brilliant example. You know, so many people talk about developing people and letting them fail and things like that. But I just feel again, you know, to me, the magic is, is what does that look like? Because there's a lot of people that wouldn't have let you fail. At 11 o'clock at night, he would have said, give it to me. I'm going to do it myself. You're not competent enough. Right. And having a leader who's willing to sort of have skin in the game with you and give you the space to fail, knowing that they would share in that failure and they're built up enough in their own career that it doesn't scare them. And I think, I think that's what makes a good leader is having that willingness to say, I can be a buffer for my team. I can let them learn. It's the insecure leaders who say, no, 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 I have to micromanage your success because your success is a reflection of my success. And I can't afford to have a mistake here. Right. So I'm sure moving forward though, you had such a big learning from that experience. What happened next? I I started, eventually I started getting good at my job. So I, I went from kind of taking whatever was expected that I needed to do and sort of glossing over it and saying, okay, I kind of get it. I'm fumbling through to actually taking the time to sit down, read it, thoroughly understand it. What I don't understand, ask a question, prepare in advance. It's like they say in college, right? If you read the syllabus, you'll be fine. Starting my career, I wasn't doing a very good job of that. Having that key lesson to slow down, don't read the instructions before you go forward, have a plan before you move. That That's a lesson that's stuck with me this whole time. And it sounds like the ability to even ask the questions to get the right clarity and, you know, know what you don't know and know what you know. It's a big thing. You'll you see that now, even as I grow in my career, the smartest leaders are the ones who are willing to raise their hand and say, hey, I don't understand what you just said. And it's true that especially coming in new, it can be hard to have the courage to admit that. Right. So in this case, I mean, 
you went ahead and lived an example of it. And then he gave you a chance to reflect back on that and go, okay, I'm not going to do that again. Right. What other examples can you think of as you were working alongside him? What were the things you really admired? You know, I think this wouldn't be surprising is that because of the way Max developed people, he had a huge network. Right. And so even now, like a couple of years ago, he reached out to me. He was working on something. I brought him into a networking group that I was a part of. And I'm one of, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of people who would see the phone ringing after years with his number on it and say, oh, hey, it's Max and have like a warm feeling. And if he asked for something, you know, anybody who's worked with them in the past would be more than happy to you know, provide whatever it is, whether it's a quick question or a resource or a connection, and he would do the same. So that's, again, I think that comes from having a confidence in your own leadership and your own abilities so that you're, it's easy for you to extend kind of whether it's, yeah, extend yourself, I guess, for other people, because you're not worried about what it would cost you. Right. That is such an amazing type of relationship builder. And it came up in a different show too, where, you know, I always say like, the ones who you feel kind of naturally indebted to, you never stop feeling indebted to them. Like when they gave you so much, I can think of, you know, an example of a great leader that I worked with who was so kind when I I went through this concussion. And I was just saying eight years later, like if he calls, it's like, how high do you want me to jump? He's just got years of deep, you know, loyalty from me, you know? So it's neat when you have that type of, feeling for somebody. I agree. And I think that's what makes a best boss in a lot of cases is because what the expression people use, right? You'll run through walls for that person. So when you have a leader who's building teams of people who really feel like they're doing great work and feel like their boss is there to support them, not to kind of climb over them, then the business itself, whatever business that is, will function better because people are just honest about doing their best work. There's no politicizing. There's no kind of zero sum game. We all have a chance to do our best. And then you have some vested interest in making your boss feel proud or happy with the work that you're doing. And I think it's cool. I mean, you'll run through walls and I'm thinking in the back of my head, you're still running through walls for him, Yeah, which is a pretty cool treat. You know, like that's, it's not even just when you work for him, it's like, that's what that network looks like. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I love that too, to feed the network when you have strong leaders or or best bosses in your network and you can help connect them, it helps you in the long run because then you become a builder yourself. So out of curiosity, any other leaders that come to mind when you think of that example of best boss, anyone else that kind of, you know, caught you on that list? I thought about it as I have sort of two. So Max was my first boss. He really set me up with a strong foundation. And then there was a sort of what got you here won't get you there moment in my career. Several years ago, I had a boss, her name is Anna, and I started to get feedback that I was doing a good job with execution, but I needed to be strategic. I don't know if you've ever gotten that feedback before that you need to be strategic. And then you say, well, what does that mean? And you hear a whole bunch of jargon that you can't take action on. This woman, her name is Anna. She said to me, let me tell you what it means to be strategic. You need to think six months ahead. That's it. If you think six months ahead, I promise you will stop getting feedback that you need to be more strategic. That has been worth its weight in gold. And she was absolutely right. It's a brilliant way to boil it down. So I do a huge amount of coaching with female leaders. And there's often exactly what you said, like mid-career, there's this moment. 
where we're still waiting for permission to be invited to be the strategic thinker. And if we don't start to demonstrate the strategic thinking, the world's not going to look at us and say, hey, I could picture that person in a, as a VP or a chief officer. And so there's that like moment where execution is what got us, you know, really strong accolades out of the gate. But then mid-career, it starts to stall out a little. And so I love when I hear that because so many people go through that transition. And to your point, they're not given anything useful that they can quickly grab onto. Right. Or give me an example of what you're looking for. Help me understand and I'm, I'm lucky because I'm in HR, which lends itself to thinking six months ahead. Because I remember the first time I had a chance to apply it, we were in the annual review cycle. And so essentially, all I had to do to start being strategic was start asking, oh, and what do you hope that this person accomplishes by the mid-year review? Ah. Or by this time next year, how big do you think this department will be? It's it's actually it's not even hard if you break it down into that think six months ahead time frame. I love it. I actually think that's such a helpful tip for so many people that are listening right now who have probably been given similar feedback. Yeah, it's a stumbling block for a lot of people. And I think it's an easy piece of feedback to put to somebody. It's like, oh, you need to be more strategic. I can't lean on you as a strategic partner. Okay, but what are you looking for? And and so I always think, okay, if, if we're trying to be strategic here, there's a tactical way to be strategic, which is take out the calendar and work backwards from your goals. And that's called a strategy to get there. Yeah, that is brilliant. So that was Anna. I think that's a that sounds like, again, like a really game-changing piece of advice she gave you. Totally game-changing. Amazing. And, and what would you say in your experience have you learned from your not great leaders? Like you don't have to name them, but like when you think of people that, you know, sometimes you see somebody do something and you go, I'm going to make sure I never do that. Yeah, I, I do a fair amount of yoga. And in yoga, they say, if there's somebody who is giving you a particularly hard time, you have to ask what they're there to teach you. And so if you take that question, like, I don't know that I've ever had like a bad boss or somebody that I would, you know, explain that way, but I've certainly had frustrations. And so when I look back on those now, I think the biggest takeaway that I've gotten from those experiences was you have to stop working for your boss and start working for yourself and focus on your work and what you accomplish instead of working for the praise or the acceptance or the feedback from somebody else you have to you have to let the work serve that purpose for you again i think that's a really big nugget cuz it is frustrating when we can't get the accolades from somebody and a lot of people do feel really stuck like if they can't get the accolades then what i mean for me at this point in my career i work for my work and i like to like my current job I've, i'm building an hr department so it's very gratifying year over year to see the progress. And I do, and I'm very fortunate because I have a great boss now and I have a great team that I work with. But if I set that to the side, the thing that I really work for is my resume. And, and, and I look at it as if I can make accomplishments and I can make my workplace better and my, I can make my department stronger, that just builds to my book of experience. And it also is recognized by my leadership team, recognized by my boss, which I appreciate and I value. But I have to put that part second. Like I have to work for the work and then let the recognition come instead of working to try to be recognized and then not stopping to sort of recognize myself what's being accomplished. You know, only a bad boss can really teach you that. Don't look here. Look at what's in front of you. Don't look to that person specifically. Would you say in a way 
the way you're thinking of it helps you stay authentic? I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not sure. It's that interesting. It's hard. Well, that's, I guess what I'm thinking is like, you know, do you then, you know, are you now chasing something that you feel is important for the business? It's important for what you think you're capable of. And the accolades are just a second, you know, that's a, that's the icing on the cake. Right. I guess that's right. It's a different North star. Right. And I think it's a truer North yep. than somebody else's feelings about you or your work. I think that's a really good way of putting it because again, I do know I coach people where they get that frustration, where they can't get that accolade from their boss and they can't get that feeling and they've had it before they've had recognition before. So once you take away recognition, it starts to feel really disengaging it is hard to work with somebody that feels that way, you know? So to your point, the idea of putting the North star somewhere else that gets you back in alignment with your strength and who you are, sounds like a healthy, healthy way to pivot. Yeah. And late bosses can change, right? So if you're ever in an organization and you feel like, oh, your boss is so frustrating, your boss is so frustrating, maybe they're on their way out. Maybe they're doing their own job search or maybe they're not. And maybe you're about to get a really great phone call about something. So in in either circumstance, the best defense is to be prepared with what you bring that you know is objectively valuable, not subject to somebody else's point of view. That's great advice. I think that's great advice. So one of the questions I love to ask people, because, and, and I think even given your role, you'll appreciate this question, but I work with top talent and everybody asks, what's the return on investment? And so I love to know when you think of, it's always the hardest question, what is the impact to the bottom line of working for a best boss? Why should we care if you have best bosses or not? Well, turnover is expensive. So first and foremost, right? So if you're, if you are thinking about what it costs in terms of recruiting fees, what it costs in terms of training. So any skilled professional takes at least six months to get up to speed. So you can imagine half a year's wages are being invested every time you have to hire somebody new because you have someone in place who's not a great leader and not retaining their talent. On top of that, there's the less quantifiable but very important impact of the alumni network of your company. And you want the alumni network to be feeling positively about the organization. Maybe maybe they were trained really well. Maybe they're still in touch with their old boss. You don't You don't want a team that is skilled and can't leave. You want some turnover. Obviously, you want to see people move on and grow. But what you want is a fond affinity for your company because that's your employer brand. I love that you say that. I don't hear a lot of people reminding each other about the importance of how people feel when they leave is important. Especially in this remote environment, right? So if I think a lot of times we forget that just because somebody has left our organization doesn't mean they've left our social circles. Doesn't mean they're not still friends. Doesn't mean they're not just on a different Slack channel with your team. So to be sort of negligent as people are leaving or not thinking about how alumni feel could be a pretty big mistake. And that's where a boss has such a uh, primary impact on how people feel about the company. And that's why it's the company's responsibility to make sure that if someone's lacking leadership skills, we have to help build it for them. And there's a, there's accountability too that goes into that, right? So I've had jobs where the the sales structure, for example, the incentive was purely based on what you bring in, nothing to do with how you manage your team or how you interact with others. So you you have to put a value on what you expect 
And so if you expect good leadership, you have to incorporate that into reviews. There has to be a financial reward or consequence. Yeah. And if you incentivize your leaders to be good leaders, you'll certainly see some positive return, you know, whether it's in retention or the performance of the team, there'll be something there. That's such a good point because, you know, again, we, you know, these are the things that, like you said, they're not measurable, but even when you say that, I can think of an organization I worked with that had a very good reputation as being a great place to work. And the leader there, he could pick up the phone and hire the best talent in the financial industry in downtown Toronto and like every time we'd lose somebody or there's something that would happen, I mean, I just was always amazed. He was probably similar to Max. I don't know if he was probably the best boss, but he had a very good network and that business had a very good brand of being a great place to work. I genuinely enjoyed working with him as a client. And it's just very interesting that he was able to pick up the phone and poach people from anywhere. Well, it's interesting. I work with a leader um, today who's a fantastic partner. And one of his hiring criteria when he looks to hire anybody manager level and above is who can you bring with you? Because you want the kind of leaders who have a following. And that's that's that has been, and we've seen it play out where there have been referrals made by people that we bring in and that just strengthens the team. Yeah. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you're not bringing one talented individual, you're bringing many or a few. And you sort of weed out maybe candidates who are bouncing around and they don't have a strong network or they haven't cultivated relationships. And if they haven't cultivated relationships before, they probably won't do it here. So asking upfront about the network of your candidate can be pretty helpful. That's an interesting one. I really like that. Excellent. So just as we kind of summarize some of this, if you had some real, I mean, you had so many nuggets and great words of wisdom. So I don't know if this is putting you on the spot, but there's leaders that are listening to the show right now and they're aspiring to be best bosses. They probably already are if they're listening to the show in the first place, but <laughs> they're on their way, right? So what would be some of the wisdom that you would impart to them, you know, as we kind of wrap this session up? To be a great leader, you have to keep the focus on your team and you invest in them and you put them first. It comes back to you without you having to press for your own needs. It's kind of one of those like the reciprocation will just happen on its own. Exactly. Exactly. But it has to start with, with giving and putting your focus in the right place. Amazing. I just heard somebody use the phrase earlier today, what you put into the universe, you get back. And they were using it in response to a great leader. And I thought, what a, what an interesting, and, you know, I think so many of us spiritually can feel that that makes sense to us. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you're almost highlighting that in a way it's like what you put into your team, you'll get back what you'll put into, you know, the business you'll get back. Absolutely. And if not in the short term, in the long term, you certainly will. Right. So you just put it in. Don't worry so much. (laughs) (laughs) Let the math happen on its own. Easier said than done most of the time, but yeah, I think so. Lovely. Maureen, thank you so much. This has been such a fun interview. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Christine. I've really enjoyed talking with you. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.